Blog Talk Radio. You know I can be found. Sit home all alone. If you can't come around, at least please telephone. Don't be cruel. Too hard, it's true. Baby, if I made a man Something I might have said Please don't forget my past The future looks bright ahead Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no other love Baby, it's just you I'm digging up Stop thinking of me Don't make me feel this way Come on over here and love me You know what I want to say Don't be cruel To a heart is true Why should we be apart? I really love you, baby Cross my heart Let's walk up to the preacher and let's say I do Then you'll know you'll have me And I know that I'll have you Don't be cruel To who heart is true I don't want no other love Oh baby, it's just you I'm digging up Don't be cruel To who heart is true Don't be cruel Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is Wednesday night, and this is our second show of this week. And yes, I played Don't Be Cruel again, because this is the month of the king, you know, Elvis Presley, the one and only rock and roller. I know all the others came after him, but he still and will always be the king. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and I want to welcome each and every one of you to our show tonight, a show that is not my show, ladies and gentlemen. I know I say it every night, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. This is your show. I just facilitate it. It's you, the listener. It's you, the guest. Y'all are the ones that have made this show go to 200-plus countries and over 200,000 listeners. Because of all of you all, we are now on Reverb Nation, iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, Podcast.com, Podcast Garden, SoundCloud, Breaker, and, of course, on Blog Talk Radio. And I have to say that Australia is still our biggest listen base. They have been for two years, and I am so, so thankful for them. So thank you, Australia, for for continuing to support this show. And there's two ways to get on this show, ladies and gentlemen. One is to come on as a guest, and the other one is to become a sponsor for the show. And when you become a sponsor for the show, I'm not in it to get rich. I don't want to get rich. I just want to help you all to succeed. And for 10 bucks for 30 days, I will run your ad, whether it's an MP3 format or whether you send me the written form and I read it online. I will run your ad for 30 days for 10 bucks. Doesn't get any better than that because I know what ads run for in Radio Land. They start at $500 for 30 days. So 
for 30 days for 10 bucks. Now, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the show. It is Audio Bookworm Promotions, and this is what they say. Looking for a listen? Adopt. Don't shop for your next audio book. Favorite. The Adopt an Audiobook program has new releases and audiobooks of every genre. All audiobooks are free to interested reviewers. Simply listen and share your thoughts. Audiobookwormpromotions.com. Adopt an audiobook. Second, Jay Traveler Pelton, who is an author who has been on this show, has a new book out in her Overland Family series. It's called The Infant's Conspiracy, and it is available on Amazon in both paperback and ebook. It starts a few years after rebooting the Oberlands left off. Noel and Violent Oberlin spent their adult careers working special assignments for the U.S. government, a family tradition of service. After 40 years of espionage, all they wanted was a peaceful retirement in the country. And just as it seemed that dream might happen, an unplanned series of events forced their overachieving adult children to return home to live with the folks. All four of them were driven out of their homes by different aspects of a government that had gone quite insane. Kaya Janetis was Zanya, his wife, Gabriel, a bomb expert turned nurse with her grandson, little Gabe, Jasmine, a forensic psychiatrist married to Scott, a CPA, all joined the siblings who are still living at home. Micah, an autistic savant, and Serena, an artist, joined their siblings in uncovering a secretive group of people led by the ice lady, whose main goal appears to be to take the Earth's population down from 7 billion to 500 million within the next 10 years. Having infiltrated the governments of most developed countries and released an airborne anti-fertility virus, the Brotherhood succeeded forcing a zero fertility rate. In the meantime, the economy of the U.S. tanked. The government sells all citizens who have debt into slavery within a system so harsh that will become a slave labor camp, and the family is compelled into special service to save the center, their tribe, the United States, and humanity from extinction. And if you thought retirement was simply about money, this book will change your mind. Last but not least of our sponsors this month, Diane Moe. She is back with the third in her Sam Holden series. Sam Holden is our favorite vigilante. The third in the series has just been released. In Dog Bones, Sam's quest to avenge abused animals is threatened when the FBI comes after her on one side and the commissioner wants her dead on the other side. Will her double life be exposed? Will Sam be able to protect the animals, her friends, and herself? Check out Dog Bones by Diane Moat everywhere ebooks are sold. And if you have started this series, be sure to begin with Dog Gone by Diane Moat for free on Amazon. And that being said, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's guest, I want to welcome mystery and children's author, Sarilyn Richards, sits down with us. She um, is a writer who teaches on the side. She used to teach and write on the side, but she switched that around. Some of her poems and essays have won awards and contests from the time she was in high school. Her children's picture book, Naughty Nana, has reached thousands of children worldwide. Murder in the 1%, published by Black Opal Books, pulls back the curtain on the privileged and powerfully rich. 
set on a gentleman's farm in Pennsylvania and in the Tony areas of New York. The book shows what happens when someone comes to a party with murder in his heart and poison in his pocket. A member of the International Thriller Writers and Mystery Writers of America, Sarah Lynn is revising her, is revising her second mystery. I can't talk tonight. Visit her website after the show, ladies and gentlemen. Visit her website at www.sarahlynrichard.com. Sarah Lynn, thank you for coming on the show. I am so excited for you to be here. How are you? I'm great, and I'm excited to be with you, Yvonne. Well, thank you. Let's, because what we sell is, is not our brand. We are the brand. The, the listeners love to know about the guest, not so much what they're selling at the beginning of the show. They want to know all about you. So if you don't mind, let's take a, a trip down memory lane. How did you get here? Was it something that you wanted to do as a child? Was it something you fell into? I mean, I read where you used to teach full-time and wrote on the side, and now you have switched those around. What made you go into teaching? Well, I always wanted to be an author. Um, I, I always loved the written word, and I'm a very voracious reader. And when I was in high school, my sophomore English teacher singled me out and said, you're going to be a writer. So she put that idea in my head. And then by the time I got to senior year in high school, my teacher was so convinced that I was going to be a writer that she made me enter contests. You know those contests that they have for kids in high school? Yeah. Every single contest that she could find, she made me enter. And lo and behold, I won every single one of them. And I think it's because no one ever enters those contests because (laughs) it's a lot of work. And if she hadn't made me do it, I probably wouldn't have entered them either. So I was all gung-ho about being a writer my senior year in high school, and I told my parents that's what I want to do. And my parents said, no, there's no way you're going to do that. You're either going to be a nurse or a teacher. So I couldn't be a nurse because I faint when I see blood. So I said, well, I guess I'll have to be a teacher. So I went to college, and I I got my teaching certificate. When I did my student teaching, I fell in love with teaching. It was a good thing. <laughs> I did. Yeah. And and that was a wonderful career. I was a teacher, I was a school administrator, and I was a school improvement consultant. And those things kept me really busy. I tried to write on the side when I was doing those jobs, but they kept me so busy that I couldn't really sustain the discipline and the the effort that it takes to really follow through and be a writer. So I waited until I stopped doing the school improvement consulting. And then I started teaching again at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute. And now my students are 50, ages 50 and above. Wow. And the two classes that I teach are creative writing and a literature class. So that put me right back with the writing and the literature 
that I've always loved and always wanted to do, and I thought, now is the time. So I I joined a writer's critique group, and I started practicing what I preach, and I started um, writing this novel, Murder in the 1%. But I had already published, uh, in 2013, I published Naughty Nana, which is the children's picture book. So no, I, I was dabbling not, in. Not, I, I wanted to tell. I was going to be a, a smart aleck here and tell the folks, Naughty Nana is not kitty porn. <laughs> <It's a children's laughs> book. There, there actually are some books called Naughty Nana that are. <laughs> oh my word! <laughs> if you Google Naughty Nana, you'll see my book right up there with those. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So continue. I'm sorry. I was being a smart aleck there. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, so, I, you know, I was dabbling in the literary world a little bit with the children's book, and that was a, a wonderful adventure. I, I never dreamed that it would connect me with so many families and children, and it has made a celebrity out of my dog. Uh, she's a wow. real diva. And she, she, there are children who have driven across the country just to meet Nana. And she's not naughty anymore, by the way. <laughs> Let's talk about Nana. Nana is a, ladies and gentlemen, I, I've seen pictures of Nana. She is an absolute love. Tell the folks about Nana and how you came to get her. Well, Nana is an old English sheepdog. And we had an old English sheepdog years ago, and we thought he was the paragon of dogs, just the most wonderful dog. Um, When he passed away, we decided not to get another sheepdog, at least for a while, because nobody else could compare to him. So we had some other dogs in between, and... um, Due to a set of circumstances, one of our dogs was in mourning, and the vet told us he was going to die unless we got him a puppy to cheer him up. And so we thought, well, maybe this is the time to get another sheepdog. So we did some research and found one nearby. She was 18 hours away, but (laughs) it was still nearby. And uh, we went to get her, and she was adorable, and she was really calm and darling while we were there at the breeders but when we got her home she was wild and crazy just think marley and me times a (laughs) hundred she was she was very destructive and uh, you know caused a lot of injuries to me and uh, my husband and destructive to the house and we were worried that we weren't going to be able to keep her and every day we were taking her for walks, trying to get her energy out on the walk. And one of the days that we were walking on the seawall, I said, you know, I think I'm going to turn the adventures of Nana into a children's book because there are children who are also naughty and need to learn the importance of being nice. So that was how Naughty Nana was born. And the result of that book is just an incredible fan base for Nana. Uh, We've gone into schools and museums and libraries and um, 
Children love her everywhere. If we take her for a walk, people come running. Oh, it's Nana from the book. And she's also a tourism ambassador mascot for our city. So she's been in parades, and usually every time there's a, a FaceTime or a Skype, she comes running because she knows it's time for her to go to work. <laughs> so I had to lock her out of the room tonight because she would think this is all about her too. And, of course, it is. Now, tell the folks, because I I, I believe, like you do, that, that animals understand us probably better than we understand them and they react to verbiage and tone and articulation like children do how did nana become not naughty anymore by by her behavior what what flipped that switch well if you buy naughty nana you'll find out <laughs> Well, there you no, go, I'll, I'll tell you, we did get a trainer, and we did have to really love her, and we had to be, you know, give her um, a lot of positive reinforcement and a lot of ignoring of the bad behavior. But there was also uh, there was also a person, a special person, who helped us see that Nana was not really permanently naughty and that we had to be patient with her and and uh, teach her instead of judge her so and, and that's what the book me, is about to me that life's lesson is we are so quick to to judge other people that we put blinders on just just like we're quick to judge our our animals our four-legged friends because mm-hmm. if they don't live up to our expectations we're ready to throw them away we're mm-hmm. we're ready to throw people away we're ready to throw animals away and we don't stop to think what about their expectation of us mm-hmm. and love is really the ultimate theme maybe Very love true. is the ultimate theme of almost every book <laughs> but love is the theme of naughty nana well, I tell you what, when I was doing my, my deep dive on you and, and looking looking up um, Naughty Nana and, and the other books, when I saw the picture of her, I'm thinking to myself, she's absolutely adorable. Mm-hmm. She she loves the camera. She loves being the center of attention. And she knows she's cute. Yes, she does. <laughs> I say she's a lot like Miss Piggy. It's all about moi. And that is true. It comes through. But you think about it. She's a sheepdog. She's used to working. That's mm-hmm. as inbred in her as as any as the color of her eyes. They're used mm-hmm. to, to hurting things. And when they don't have a job, they get bored. Mm-hmm. How interesting And she loves that. children. She just there. lights up when she's with children. And she's she had lots of opportunities to be with children, and uh, they love her too. So it's something really magical happens when she's with a group of children. And it it's very hard to put into words, but when you see it happen, it, you just you realize that dogs are really not so different from people. No, they're not. And in, in fact, 
I had horses for a long, long time, and it, it was the same premise. It, and just like I told you, my little Maltese, he thinks he's part of the radio show. He comes in and he has to take his nap while I'm doing the show. They will talk to us if we just take the time to listen. Yeah, that's very true. And, and and it's like it's like understanding a second language because their language is their their language I can't talk is abstract. It's not cognitive. So we have to read their lines and not put them in a box. Right. I I can't tell you how many children have said to me, uh, Nana wasn't really naughty. There's no way. You just must have made that up. There's no way this dog was ever naughty. I'm like, oh that yes, is, she was, but she's nearly perfect fun. now. So, and and did she not help the other dog overcome his grief? She did. She did her job. And and see, back to the same old thing is is we are societal creatures. Um, dogs are have to be. They're societal creatures too. They they do grieve. Animals mm-hmm. grieve just like humans do. Well, I am so glad that she was able to, in spite of her naughtiness, <laughs> help your other one. <laughs> and now look at her. So there is hope for all of us. That's right. That's right. There's hope for everyone. Now, once you put that book out and Nana became the ambassador that she is, do you think that helped her understand um, her job better? That she's happier now. She's more at peace now. She's more well-rounded now because she she knows she's got a job to do and she's going to be on point every time now. I think she. I really think she got to be nice. We call it in the book, nice Nana, uh, before the book came out. Um, but her celebrity is is really something to watch. It's just, uh, it's just, as I say, she's just radiant when we go out. She's been in parades and she's been at schools and she just she does it like a celebrity. <laughs> she also goes to the spa once a month. <laughs> because oh my. She, she is a celebrity and she has to be fluffy for the children. So she has spa day once a month and she does that too with so much aplomb. You know, she just she doesn't get <laughs> ruffled by it or anything. She, it's just a routine that she loves. Cuz she knows that she's the diva now. Yes. And she lets me brush her teeth. And she loves to have her teeth brushed, and I, I never oh had a dog my. that loved that before. So, so she could teach children that lesson as well. Good hygiene. Yes. How amazing is that? She likes to have a have her spa day. She likes to have her teeth brushed. She like she enjoys looking beautiful and yes. feeling and she, beautiful. And she loves being touched. See. That she could teach the she could teach adults too, but she could teach children so many lessons just by being Nana. And she does. I, I hear from children all the time and from parents all the time. 
how important this book has been in getting their children to go to sleep or getting their children to do certain things. And it, it's so rewarding. I've met so many people. I, I just never dreamed it would be this much fun. It's, it's been a great adventure. The 18-hour the trip was worth it. This dog was meant to be in your life. Warts and all, she was meant to be in your life. <laughs> well, sometimes we love what we can't handle, you know. We learn how to handle it, and then we learn to love it. So That is very true. Now, you, like me, which I found out in my deep dive of you, you are a huge proponent of giving books as gifts. Tell the folks why, because I agree there's nothing greater than the gift of, in receiving or giving the gift of a book. Well, books are meant to be read. And when you give a book to someone, you're not just giving them an object. You're giving them ideas and thoughts and feelings and um entertainment and education and travel and um, comparisons, higher level thinking, and, and you're giving them a connection to you. Even when you recommend a book to someone, um, you are connecting with that person through that book. Uh, one of the classes that I teach is called Literary Tapas, and we read little pieces of literature and we analyze them using Socratic questioning. And the class is so popular and it's so much fun, and the people in the class say it's like group therapy with literature. Wow. And it, and that's what books do. So if you give a, a different kind of of gift... Uh, something more materialistic or something that is um, fungible, you know, that wears out. A book doesn't wear out. A book lasts. And the Uh ideas in the book last maybe forever in that person's mind. And so the person may associate you with that book for the rest of their life. So you're, you're really giving something meaningful when you give a, a gift of a book. And, and going back to recommending books, two, two people sitting on a train or sitting on a plane or waiting in a bus station can start a conversation about a book and, and find that common bond, and they both leave better for it. Yes. Absolutely. Give books. Trust me. Give books. When I get a book, it's to me, it is more precious than a piece of jewelry or food because I don't like food anyway. But a book, it, it breathes life. It, it has its own. It has its own electricity and its own life form. And books are important. Children should be read to. From the time they are born, should they not, Sarolyn? Absolutely. And adults should continue to read and have their children see them reading. It's not enough just to read to them. It's important for them to see the adults 
still reading and still finding reading to be meaningful in their lives. Because if they don't model it, then their children won't either when they grow up. That is so true. My mother was a, she read up until right before she died. She And I never, ever remember my mother nor my grandmother not reading. And we would discuss books and it would be a back and forth. And, and sometimes we agreed, sometimes we didn't, sometimes our interpretations were different. But reading is more than fundamental reading to me is is like expanding your mind and and exploding all these ideas in your mind that you wouldn't get anywhere else that that's absolutely true i i was an english teacher for a lot of years and forced a lot of kids to read a lot of books <laughs> but i i think they thank me for it now because uh they're enriched by everything that they read they're better well, able you, to handle things in life because of the books that they've read. It, to me, Shakespeare, which I never understood, I, I read Tolstoy, I read all kinds of, of things as a kid. I'm talking sixth, seventh, and eighth grade that most kids wouldn't have read. But Crime and Punishment, um, Dr. Shivago, I read all those books. But I could not get into Shakespeare until my 12th grade English class, and I will forever be indebted to that teacher because she gave me an appreciation for Shakespeare that nobody else could ever do because she broke it down. It was conflict. It was pride. It was jealousy. It was all the seven deadly sins, and the, the end result was murder. That must have been Macbeth. Well, Julius Caesar. Oh, okay. I taught that also. I loved it, and, and, and Macbeth, too. We But Julius Caesar was always my favorite because it was a power struggle, and, and the, the, the line that always sticks with me is, A2 Brute, because your friend is stabbing you because all of a sudden you want the power. And Macbeth, my favorite line in Macbeth is Lady Macbeth walking around going, these spots, these spots, these damn spots. <laughs> Because she's mad as a hatter. <laughs> Ladies and, and then there's I, Hamlet. <laughs> oh, yes, and then there's Hamlet. I am talking with children's author and mystery writer Sarah Lynn Richards, and we have been talking about her children's book, Naughty Nana. But when we come back from break, we are going to talk about why she likes writing mysteries and her mystery book, um, murder in the 1%. So we will be right back. Horses See Ghosts, a new poetry book by Gannat Wise. It's been called Poetry for the Rest of Us. Amazon. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? <coughs> Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. A 
struggling city, its beloved baseball team, an antique camera, and photos from that camera that bear an image from the pit of hell, an entity only a select few can see. Journalism professor Buddy Cullen is determined to track this demon down. But who is the hunter and who is the prey? And who will be the next target of mankind's mortal foe? Mortal Foe, available at Amazon.com. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books, the And I Thought series, and the Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> Girl, you're so silly. You're silly. Remember, Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. The year, 1888. The place, London's East End. Dead and mutilated bodies are popping up all over, from Stamford to Whitechapel. Jack the Ripper is leaving his mark and the city's on edge. Yvonne Mason is back with a tale of murder and millinery. The Rhodes Hat Factory is booming while the body count rises. Why now? How are these hats connected? Has the Hatter gone mad? Mad Hatter from Yvonne Mason. Available now on Amazon.com. And we are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, mystery and children's author, Sarahlyn Richards. And before I get back to Sarahlyn, i got to do a bit of shameless promotion. The Mad Hatter has been released today on audiobook. You can get it at, at audible.com or Amazon. It will also be on iTunes and um, someplace else in the next few days. So go check it out. Now, back to Sarahlyn Richards. She writes mystery and children's books we have just been talking about her children's books naughty nana and no it's not kitty porn ladies and gentlemen it is the cutest books about life's lessons about their sheepdog named nana and how she overcomes being naughty and teaches children that they too can change their behavior simply by changing their attitude But now we're going to switch gears because she also writes mystery books. How in the world do you switch back and forth? I barely can switch back and forth between fiction and nonfiction. You know, I read everything because the literature class that I teach, we read probably three pieces every single week. So I'm constantly reading and nonfiction and quotations and um, mysteries and historical fiction and every kind of writing that there is. So I love it all, and it's it's not that hard to switch from one to another. I know most authors are told that you should stick to one genre, but that's just not me. I, I love I love the variety of it. I get bored writing one genre, so I have to go from comedy to horror to to true crime to inspiration to 
mystery to who done it. But you sometimes when you do that, it it boggles the mind because people go, "Why don't you stay in one genre?" Mystery is a a genre all into itself. It takes a a certain several affair to write mysteries because you got to keep the people in suspense as well as tell the story without giving too much away until the the end of it. And that that's what I love about mysteries, Yvonne. Um, in no other genre is there such a connection between the author and the reader. Um, in a mystery, the author is laying out an emotional and an intellectual puzzle for each and every reader and hoping that that reader is going to follow along, pick up all the clues and pick up the foreshadowing and notice the irony and the red herrings and follow along with the author. And what happens is each time somebody is reading my book, it's it's new for me too because I'm connected to that reader. And, and I want to know what is the reader seeing in the book? What are they picking up on or what might they be missing? And I think no other genre has that puzzle connection. That's true. It, it's that just, it's really fun. Do you find yourself, when you're writing mysteries, do you find yourself sometimes not knowing what's around the bend until the voices in your head tell you what to do? Well, there's, you know, there are two schools of thought about that, whether you should outline um you know, do deep outlines or fly by the seat of your pants when you're writing a mystery. And um, I'm one of those authors that does not do a detailed outline. I have a beginning, a middle, and an end in mind, but my books are really character-driven. And so as I'm building the characters, they become real people to me. I think about them. I dream about them. I talk about them. And they are, they're living, breathing people. And so they kind of run away with the story sometimes. And there's a particular chapter in Murder in the 1% that I was writing, and it's a horseback riding chapter. And I knew that the characters would go horseback riding, and I knew which characters would be there, and I knew their personalities. But there's an accident that happens, and I did not plan that accident. It just happened when I was in the zone of writing it. And that accident actually is a springboard for a lot of things that come later in the book. So I'm a real believer that outlines, detailed outlines, can really hem you in as an author. I agree. That was one of the problems that I had when I was in school because the teacher wanted such, they wanted the old outlines, you know, Roman numeral one, big A, little a, Roman numeral two. And by the time I'd done all of that, I could have written the story six times over. And I'm like you, I never know where my story is going or how it's going to get there. 
I just know that the characters take on the story, and I'm just a facilitator. I just type it out. And right. I think we get bogged down in too many details when we ha- when we sit down and write an outline when we could have just written a story because the story changes as the, as the characters change and morph and, and become three-dimensional. Right. There is one uh, kind of caveat, though, is you can get hemmed in. Um, you can box yourself into a corner, and then it's hard to get out of the corner if you don't have that outline. So, you know, everything has its its pluses and minuses, and you have to find the right balance for you as a writer. That's true. <laughs> what I have to do is go back and edit and say, okay, look, you – you can't have the whole story. You got to share it with the rest of the characters. So this part of your character's out. <laughs> That's right. And sometimes they get real upset with me, but it is what it is. Because some of some of my books could go on forever if you if you don't have an ending, and you've got to have an ending unless you do a series, and then you got to know when to make the break. Right. Now, I had a, a sticky situation in Murder in the 1% because I knew that I wanted to use a poison as the murder weapon. And I had particular um, parameters for what kind of poison would be effective in the situation, in the setting with the characters, and so on. So I bought a book called Deadly Doses. And it's written for authors of mysteries. And every wow. chapter of the book is a different poison. And it, it tells you every single thing that you'd ever want to know, like what kind of a dose and what kind of symptoms the person would have and how long it would take to kill them and, you know, how it could be administered and what it, what it tasted like, what it did to the body. And I read the entire book and could not find the right poison. Huh. So I... I said to my writer's group, I may have to pitch this book because I can't find the right poison. And they're like, you've come too far. You can't pitch this book. (laughs) And uh, so I asked a couple of doctor friends uh, if they knew of any poisons or any uh, chemical compounds or drugs that might do what I wanted it to do. And they started looking for me, and one of them read an article about polytoxin, which is a naturally occurring poison. It's an off-product of coral. And wow. probably for centuries, people have been dying from this and not knowing it, just thinking that they died from a heart attack because its symptoms mimic heart attack. And it turned out to be the perfect thing for my book, um, and after I wrote this book, articles started coming out. Even It was on Fox News, too. Um, and people were sending me the articles about polytoxin, that it's been killing people. And, and now that it's identified, people are recognizing it as the dangerous toxin that it is. See, the things we learn when we read books and we do research as authors for our books – we learn things we we wouldn't have even thought about learning. Right. The it's research is, is really half of the fun. Oh, absolutely. When I when I was researching A Voice from the Grave, which is about 
the uh, the la- the uh, Andersonville, the 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 last Confederate prison camp. I learned things I never learned in school. I was fascinated. I couldn't stop researching long enough to write the book. <laughs> I I can understand that. So you didn't just research poisons, though. You were actually at the venue or the place where this book takes place. Am I correct? You're correct. I, I actually went to a party just almost exactly like the party in the book. And we were, it was in Brandywine Valley, Pennsylvania, and it's beautiful horse country out there. It's very remote. Um, It's a very wealthy area. And this was a weekend retreat, so all the party guests were staying at the home. And after this opulent, you know, Epicurean feast that we had with lots of wine pairings, we were sitting around talking, and I turned to the person next to me and said, you know, this would be a great setting for a murder mystery. And she looked at me like I was coming <laughs> from another planet. And uh, and I said, but the problem with that would be one of us would have to die and one of us would have to be a killer. And she, her response was, well, you write the book and I'll give you a launch party. Wow. So some years later, I did write the book, and she did give me the launch party. How but amazing what, what is that? What struck me about that setting, what made me say that, was that it was just so peaceful and so beautiful and so comfortable that murder intruding into that room or into that party was like the last thing you would expect. And that's what attracted me to that setting, that it would be such an ironic contrast to have a murder take place at a party like that. And totally, and and, and that was the reason I'm assuming, of course we know what assume means, but I'm assuming that was the reason that you needed that particular poison because it would be so out of character to be um, so in your face. It had to be something subtle, something no one suspected. Right. It presented itself as a natural phenomenon. Right. And then there's time and space requirements, too, because the house, uh, there's certain, you know, how could it be administered? Where where was everybody? And And when would be the opportunity to administer it? So there were all kinds of uh, details that that poison had to fit into. And that's why I had such a hard time finding one. But once I found it, it was just perfect. And, and see, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we as writers do. We take the impossible, sometimes the improbable, and we present it in a story for you all to be entertained, educated, and left wondering and, and and make your mind explode and become part of the story. But it's we just don't sit down and put pen to paper. A lot of research, blood, sweat, and tears goes into a story to build the characters, to find the perfect setting, 
to find the perfect poison in this case. And there are times that you not frustrated Uh, your voice is breaking up on me, Yvonne. I said, what, were there with, with everything that you had going on in this book, were there times when you were just ready to pitch this entire thing and start something else? Not really. Only once I found the poison, I was committed to the book. And, um, and I'm glad because I'm still committed to it. Even though it's been a while since I finished revising it, it's like every time somebody new is reading it or I discuss it with somebody new or with a new book club, that book still lives for me. And I hope it still lives for other people too. Well, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get that because you've got my interest peak. You also are starting on a second mystery. Am I correct? Actually, I'm starting on the third now. I finished the uh-huh. second one. And I'm starting on the sequel to Murder in the 1%. Um, A lot of the beta readers that I had and editors said, you really have to have more of Detective Parrot. They really fell in love with that character. And, um, And I love him, too. And he's only 26 years old, and he's just an amazing young man. And he has a lot of... Uh, moral compass to him. He is um, plagued by uh, some demons in his own life that he has to overcome. And then he's uh, up against these 1% people who close ranks on him and they're trying to foil his solving the case. And he has to really be strong because they're older than he is, they're wealthy, they're politically powerful. And um, and there are lots of them, and there's only one of him. So he's up against a big um, challenge, and he does a great job in Murder in the 1%. So people were clamoring for a sequel, and I thought I have to give it to him. So I'm writing the third book now, and it's the sequel, and it involves – it's also in Brandywine Valley – it involves an art heist and a murder. Now, what is the title of this book, and when can people expect it? I don't have a title yet. <laughs> I, I really didn't come up with Murder in the 1% title until just shortly before it went to publication. My working title was just the 1%. Um, and I don't even have a working title for this art heist book yet because oh. I'm I'm so involved in the characters right now and the plot that I haven't come up with the title. So, so when when of- can people expect it? Probably I think it'll be finished by December. Oh, so you have to come back after the first of the year and, and talk about the third book because now you've got my interest, Pete. <laughs> I'd be glad to. Okay, so what was the second book that you finished that's out? Uh, The second book is called A Murder of Principle, and it takes place in a Midwest urban high school. And just like Murder in the 1% pulls back the curtain on how the very wealthy live, 
this book pulls back the curtain on what goes on behind the scenes in an urban school, which I have a lot of experience with. Yep. So um, the reason it's not out yet is because we've had all of these school shootings, and I just don't think, I mean, each one of each time there's a school shooting, it just hurts my heart, and I know it hurts so many people, and I just don't think the climate of the country is right to release a murder mystery that takes place in a school. So I'm just sitting on it. I've revised it, and it's ready to go, but I'm just holding back. It's like I'm not in the mood to read it. Right. And if I'm not in the mood to read it, then I don't think anyone else will be either. Although it really is a fun book, and it uh, and it does educate the reader about uh, problems that are in schools and how we can overcome them. But still, it's just I, I just don't think it's the right time. And you know how time and timing is everything. Yes, absolutely. So we will just wait on the second in your other series. And it, I would love to bring you back after the first of the year. I think it would be fun to see where your detective has gone. I'd be glad to come back. This is okay. a fun show. Well, thank you. I told you that you're not going to believe this, that our hour is almost up. Yeah, it flies by. It does. It does indeed. And as a teacher, you you do understand these things. You you look up and the hours just start, and you look up again, and and it's five minutes before the 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 class ends or the show ends, and you go, but we're not done yet. <laughs> I've got all this. Other There's so stuff. much more to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. So, are you going to write more children's books? Um, I might. Right now, I'm so involved with, I'm still marketing Naughty Nana and doing things with her and and doing things for all these other books that my my attention and my focus has really been the novels. Um, but when I've been in schools, children have said to me, when are we going to get another Nana book? And so I asked children, what would you like to see Nana do next? And they have come up with some of the greatest ideas, like Nana goes into outer space, Nana goes to Hollywood, um, Nana Nana foils her birthday party. Uh, the kids are very creative. So um, I may do another Nana book. Well, tell the folks where you can be found so they can keep up with Nana and the detective and the next adventure. Well, my website is www.sarahlynrichard. And should I spell that? Yes. S-A-R-A-L-Y-N-R-I-C-H-A-R-D dot com. And so it's full of information about media and reviews and um, tour schedule, book tour schedule. And then there's a bookstore page where you can purchase the books. Um, Naughty Nana is available there and in some local bookstores. 
but it is not available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, but Murder in the 1% is available everywhere. So it, your favorite bookstore or online, um, we just found out that Walmart is now selling books online too. So Walmart, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, iBooks, anywhere you can think of, and also the publisher Black Opal Books. Um, also carries it. So lots of opportunities to purchase that one. And and she's also on Facebook, ladies and gentlemen. Hook up with her there as well. I want to, don't hang up when the show goes offline because there's some things I want to tell you, but I want to thank you so, so much for spending an hour with me, Cyril. And I, I have had a ball. The show has just And gone so have so I. And you're willing to come back. That makes it even better. <laughs> And thank you to all of the audience members who are listening. Absolutely. And see, there will be even more, and I will tell you more about that when we go offline. But, ladies and gentlemen, she will come back. You know, once I get my hooks and my guests that I have to keep bringing them back because they do get a following on this show. People do expect to hear from them again. So, yes, she, she has agreed to come back. So stay tuned. We'll bring her back and see what her detective is doing and what Naughty Nana has been up to. Tomorrow night, we will be back at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. But as you all know, at the end of every show, there's some things that I always tell you. And one of those things is people will forget your name. They will forget what you look like. They will even forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you've made them feel. And I'm going to tell you, on this journey that I am currently on with my husband and the journey that I have been on and the loss of my mother, the way that others have made me feel have helped to keep me grounded. And I appreciate that. And and I try to reciprocate. So when you're out and about and you see someone that, that may not be having that good of a day, be kind to them. Because not only does it make their day better, it makes your day better. and it costs nothing but a little effort. So have them smile, say something nice about them, just be kind. Also, if you want to achieve greatness, ladies and gentlemen, please do not ask anyone's permission because they're not going to give it to you. And teach your children this. If they want to be great, just go out and be great at whatever it is that you want to do. If you want to be the greatest garbage collector, if you want to be the greatest cashier in a grocery store, if you want to be the greatest mom, the greatest father, the greatest husband, the greatest wife, the greatest child, just go out and do it. Because it is the most wonderful thing in the world to understand that it is within you to be great. You don't have to have permission. And remember this. When you look at yourself in the mirror... Don't just feel special. Be special because feelings are fleeting. But when you understand that each of us are unique, each of us are special, and each of us have worth, then you can transcend that to someone else and help someone else become a better person. So with that in mind, I want to again thank Sherilyn Richard for being here. She's been so gracious and I appreciate her so much. I want to thank you, the audience, for continuing to support the show and for joining us every night and for spreading the word. 
and for being a part of my life. I am very grateful and humbled. So join us again tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time when once again we are off the chain. I am your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, Sarah Lynn Richard, wishing you all a very good evening. Okay, Sarah Lynn, we're off the air, but everything we say will show up in the archived part of the show. But I did want to quickly tell you that when this show goes, when I get off the phone with you, and the show archives, I'm going to post the link on my page, and then I'm going to tag you in it so that you can share it as an archive show. And then tomorrow, when I put it up on SoundCloud and Spreaker and Podcast.com and Podcast Garden, I will also send you those links so that you can share it. Great. That's great. So thank you again, my dear, for spending an hour with me. It was a tremendous, tremendous show, and I hope you sell lots and lots of books because of it. Thank you, Vaughn. You're just wonderful, and I enjoyed it, and I feel like I know you now. <laughs> well, thank you. <clears throat> so next time when you come on the show, we will just chat like old friends again. Yes, ma'am, we will. And if, <laughs> if I want to do an ad for $10 for 30 days, how yes, do I ma'am. do that? You send me the ad either as an MP3 or written, just like I read tonight. I will invoice you through PayPal, and you just pay through PayPal, and then I just run the ad for 30 days. If you want to renew it for 30 days, I'll just invoice you again, and we'll keep going as long as you want to. Okay. It's that simple. Okay. So just off the chain. Before you, it's off the chain. And you have a show every now. day for 30 days, or it's it's. I have it. I have a show four nights a week, every day of the month. So I and, and wow. but last night I had Paul on here because our show got screwed up last week. So I had five shows. I had five shows this week. But normally my shows run Wednesday through Saturday. So every every night that I have a show within that month, your ad will be read. And then not only is it heard here on Blog Talk Radio, but it's heard on all the podcasts that this show shows up on. Including iHeartRadio. Okay. And Spotify. And um, TuneIn Radio. So it's heard in over 200 countries, over 200,000 listeners, and podcasts all over the world. Great. So just when you're ready, just let me know. Just send it to me the same place that you sent your information for the show, and we'll get it going. Okay. I appreciate you. And by the way, I've, I've lost my mother, too, and I've had challenges with my husband's health, too, so I really can understand what you've been going through. Thank you. That means a lot to me. So, and I will send you some dates for next year so we can talk about Detective Parrot again. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you very darling. much. You're welcome, sweetheart. Good night. Okay. Good night.